how to apologize when you are the one who is owed an apology. Step one, name your wound, it is valid. Name your wound, here is mine. My wound feels a lot like exhaustion. I'm weary, so incredibly tired. I'm tired of trying to explain my open and generous theology to people whose counter arguments are waiting on the tip of their tongue before I even have a chance to say a word. I'm tired of breaking down exactly why it's biblically acceptable for a woman to be in the pulpit. I'm tired of toning down my calling as a woman pastor or my perspective as a person of color for the sake of other people's comfort. I'm tired of my vocal concern for justice and all matters of equity being lessened to whining, complaining, or feminist anger. I'm tired of defending my thoughtfulness and intentionality in approaching the Bible, and I'm tired of being told I've taken the easy way out or that I've given in to secular culture as a result of my radical inclusivity and because of my belief that Jesus himself was radically inclusive and that God is an unconditionally accepting God. I'm tired of trying to build bridges with people who often seem unwilling to join me in the muck of this complicated work. I'm tired of being asked if I've ever read First Timothy, of being told that my church isn't a Christian church, of the online trolls who tear into me with their words and their energy. I'm tired of the judgment. Today's reading is from Romans and it's all about judging and how we aren't supposed to do it. Specifically, it's about how Christians with various theological interpretations shouldn't judge each other. I read it and my open wound throbs against the truth of the text because I don't want to hear about my own propensity to judge when I'm so exhausted from being judged myself. I've reached a point where I have to be done, done explaining myself, done breaking down my exegetical framework, done proving my worthiness to people who aren't really listening anyway. The problem is that somewhere along the way, I stopped listening as well. How to apologize when you are the one who is owed an apology, step two, listen. Here's a pep talk because believe me, you'll need it. Learn to listen to yourself first. This is important because it is the only way to know your wounds and name them. But in doing so, don't stop listening to others, including and especially those who are different from you. Listen, listen, and then listen. Listen even when it hurts. Call it turn the other cheek theology and listen. Give the people what you wish they would have given you. Who knows? Maybe it'll change someone for the better, even if that someone is you. Instead of pointing fingers, try listening. You don't have to compromise yourself to listen. You don't have to absorb what you are hearing to listen. Listening doesn't mean you downplay your humanity. Listening isn't acting. In one way or another, listening is only trying to understand. And in many cases, understanding becomes grace and empathy. Realize the road of least suffering is compassion. So listen. 
Listen without judgment, knowing none of us can make it through this life unscathed. Listen knowing you are not the only one with wounds. Listen because sometimes knowing the trauma can change everything. Listen without judgment because the word demands it. Listen because it's what Jesus would do. And listen to God. Listen to spirit however she presents herself to you without distraction and trust what you hear. Don't stifle the spirit God has placed within you. It is a gift. Open yourself up to it and listen. Listen to God and in listening risk and in risking feel. How to apologize when you are the one who is owed an apology. Step three, feel. We are Christians who have become very good at thinking. We wrestle, we challenge the norm, we brave the wilderness, ask hard questions. We don't accept easy answers. We take the road less traveled. We are willing to put in the work of deconstructing and reimagining our faith. But what if all of our thinking has been at the expense of feeling? What if thinking for us is a reaction, a fearful response to where feeling has led us in our past faith experience, often into oppressive systems of fear-based, guilt-ridden theology, and getting out of that paradigm was like breathing again. Thanks be to God. But what if when we made the escape, we left behind some good stuff? with all the baggage. Symbols that we once cherished became triggers of a faith we almost deserted. And what if, along with the misogynistic preacher and the smoke machines and the fill-in-the-blank sermon guides, we left behind our inclination to feel, to be completely moved and completely undone by the presence of God? What if all our thinking has unintentionally become a crutch, keeping us from experiencing the full deal? Have we become too disconnected with our feelings when it comes to the things of God? Is God only a word to us, an idea, or an explanation? Many of us have been hurt. We've been shamed. We've been wounded. And a thinking faith has been a safe place to land. It gets a little too real when you let vulnerability in because here is where the risk lies, opening ourselves up to potential hurt when we know what has happened before. But only thinking, even if it's followed by the good of doing, is a muted version of experiencing God. It is a lesser version of faith. It is a one foot in kind of faith, a straddling the fence kind of faith. It is a not trusting fully kind of faith, meaning it is an incomplete faith. But we can't know the boundless goodness that is God without risking experiencing everything else. That's just how it works. We can't know joy fully when we mute anger or sadness or any of the hard stuff. When we open ourselves up to feeling, we have to open ourselves up to the whole spectrum. We have to risk it all. To know God, to fully engage God in worship, we have to engage all our feelings. We have to risk the vulnerability that comes with it, the potential disaster that might open up inside us. We must risk and let these things rise in order to know God, which is to know love and joy and peace uninhibited. See, when we mute feeling, we mute spirit. 
We mute word. We mute the God we could know in a deeper way, the us we could be in a deeper way. And realizing this comes with a heavy heart. It comes with grief because we realize we've lost a lot of time. We've wasted so much time. And doesn't a reality as hefty as this make you want to say, I'm sorry? How to apologize when you are the one who is owed an apology step four. Don't apologize, but also apologize. This is not a sermon about apologizing to the people around you. If you've listened well, you'll recognize when you need to do that. And you'll suck it up and you'll do it. If you are listening well, you'll also come to know that when you are standing in the face of evil, the gift of spirit within you will empower you to recognize the truth that evil is owed no apology ever. So don't apologize. Don't apologize to patriarchal systems, to racist systems, to homophobic systems, to unjust systems, and all they produce within and around us. Call them for what they are. Be holy and name them unapologetically. And if you are going to apologize, apologize to God. Apologize for anyone you may have hurt by being complicit in these systems. Apologize to yourself for the time you've wasted judging and fearing being judged. Apologize for the days, weeks, months, years you've lost to distraction. Apologize for the things that have kept you from knowing God deeper. Apologize for the things that have kept you from being more deeply God's. Apologize, but don't call it an apology because those are just words. Call it something deeper and fuller. Call it repentance. How to apologize when you are the one who is owed an apology. Step five, repent and no healing. In the Bible, repentance is a covenant requirement, meaning it is more than just words. Repentance is agreement. Repentance is unrestrained action bubbling up from your soul. Repentance is spiritual sorrow. It is distress so urgent it requires a different way now. In the Bible, repentance is more than confession. It is more than cheap talk. Repentance always means change. Knowing it is discovering a new way. In the Hebrew, repentance demands a change of action. In the Greek, repentance requires a change of mind. Real repentance will rock your whole world. Repentance means we let go of what hurt us, what once held us down. Repentance means we confess to the ways we have hurt and pulled others down. Repentance is full awareness. Repentance spurs divine change, total openness to spirit, transformation from the inside out that will make us do radical things like throw away our gavels. A gift of repentance, a natural consequence of it is Christ-like humility. The kind that helps you more clearly, it's that gentle nudge reminding us that even if we had permission to be judges on behalf of God, which we do not, we'd have to do the kind of judging that God does, which is gracious and mercy-filled and ever-inclusive. Repentance is out of our hands. The only thing we can really control is our posture, our posture toward it, our openness to it. Here's a question. Are you ready? How to apologize when you are the one who is owed an apology. Step one, name your wound. It is valid. Step two, listen. Step three, feel. Step four, don't apologize, but also apologize. 
Step five, repent and no healing. Step six, repeat, repeat. And then for good measure, repeat again. Amen.